Nowadays, filmmakers make the jump into the biggest projects rather quickly because you can go right from selling your first spec or doing some DIY project and some sizzles into a major movie like Eternals. My guests today, Ryan and Kaz Furpo, were tabbed to write the script for Eternals by Marvel and Disney after having a script on the blacklist and you know, carving careers as commercial directors and editors and documentary filmmakers, but this was a huge jump for them. And today we talk about what it's like to write a movie for Marvel. It's different than writing a movie in your own home for yourself, but it's also in weird ways quite similar. And Marvel goes out of their way to recreate circumstances that writers work under when they're on their own and just trying to come up with the best story possible. There's so much about this industry that we only know if we get to talk to people like Ryan and Kaz, who open up some of what the process behind the scenes with Marvel is really like. It surprised me. Hopefully it'll surprise you. It's the kind of thing where anybody can go out there and write a screenplay. And that's what Ryan and Kaz did that really landed them on the radar of the mainstream of the industry and got them on the blacklist. So here we go, Ryan and Kaz on Eternals. First of all, really happy to have you guys here. So you used to read No Film School, which is awesome, and you know Emily. <laughs> it was a small little world. That's one of the main things I've discovered, certainly in Hollywood. You know, it's, it's an incredible place because it's really just a group of artists who are dreaming up crazy things. You know, I think when Chloe walked into the room for the first time for Eternals, we realized right away we just we had this tiny little universe. Her co-producer of Nomadland produced my thesis film at NYU. We, she was in grad school at NYU when I was an undergrad. It was just a very small world. It was like immediately this like love connection. So nice. yeah, you know, I've been reading no film school since literally I was in film school. Awesome. Yeah. Well, then you've been reading it longer than I have actually, <laughs> but that's great. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it is a small world and it is just funny the way you put it that you're, you know, you're walking into a room or Chloe Zhao is walking into a room to talk about this massive project for Disney and Marvel. And you're like, Hey, we're just, you know, filmmakers who, who have some connections in New York through our thesis films. It's just like, that just brings it all down to earth immediately. Right. <laughs> It's that's the, the bigger the movie. This is one of our big lessons that I think Ryan and I certainly learned. We're both filmmakers who write, you know, we grew up making movies in our backyard. And it's like, even at the highest levels, making the biggest movies, it's still a group of people making up stories, you know? And I think at the end of the day, it's important to remember that, that you are united by this love of telling stories of movies that, you know, no matter how big it gets, the same skills you're learning in film school, watching, you know, the special features of DVDs, reading Sid Field's screenplay. <laughs> skills are still useful. Okay, there's so much there to follow up on, but I want to go back or, or pinpoint this moment. How do two filmmakers, such as yourselves, get involved on a project like Eternals? I'll let Ryan take that one. Well, so... Our journey into Hollywood is everyone has a unique story in Hollywood of how they got there. And, and ours is uh, equally unique. We both kind of came at filmmaking from different points of view. Kaz went to NYU and kind of did the film school thing. And then he started directing commercials and had a very successful commercial directing career out of school. 
And I actually, I did go to film school, but only for one semester and just realized it wasn't really for me. And I dropped out and ended up making a feature, a DV feature with my next uh, semester's tuition money for like five grand. And that became my film school. And then from there, I just sort of got involved in... Um, when you said DV, did you, do you mean mini DV? Yeah, or, mini DV. Yeah, yeah like, nice. Those little Canon, tapes. The, yeah, the Canon XL1. Yeah. So yeah, we shot it like a, a, it was, a, it was really like during the time of the Dogma 95 when like all these, you know, all those uh, Danish guys were doing all these interesting films. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, these films, like they're really great, but they look like garbage. So I can make <laughs> one of those. And so, and so uh, that's kind of what we did. We made this kind of Dogma film, but Dogma, Dogma 95 film on uh, Canon XL1. It was a great experience and I learned a ton. And, uh, and from there I just started kind of working in the business. And then as mostly like an editor, actually doing like wedding videos and corporate stuff. And then at the same time, I was like playing a lot of poker. And I discovered this like online poker community where there was all these like young uh, online poker geniuses who were making like a million dollars a month and just had no idea what to do with their money. And I was like, oh man, this is going to be my source of independent film financing. Like I'm going (laughs) to... I'm going to infiltrate this community and I'm, I'm, I'm going to become friends with them and then they're going to pay for all my movies. And Wait, so kinda, you should do a movie about that, like the hustler, also, like yeah. that, the poker hustler, you know? You get it? Yes. <laughs> I totally get it. Yes. There's a lot of layers there. A lot of meta layers. But yeah, that also ultimately I, I did meet a group of, of young guys who were all very successful and they put together a budget and we made this documentary, this feature length documentary about the rise and fall of online poker called Bet Race Gold. And this is something that was financed entirely by poker winnings, just a bunch of professional poker players just put together some money and, and kind of sent me off. And they really like, there was no oversight. They were just like, wow. here's your money, go make the movie. That's and so amazing. like I produced and directed and edited that film and it took about uh, three years. And that was my first experience, like actually making a movie and then releasing it and having strangers watch it. And so that was really exciting. And uh, and then shortly after that, Kaz, who had been directing commercials up to, up to that point, was sort of like, you know, I'm kind of tired of directing commercials. Like, let's make a real movie. And so he he just propositioned me, like, let's go not like that, but he, he said, <laughs> let's go, uh, let's go, uh, let's go to a cabin in the woods, and we'll write a movie that we can do for like a million bucks. And you know, I you could raise some money, I could raise some money, and we'll just go and make this movie. And so we went off and wrote this script called Ruin. For, to make it and this was just like us just like having no sort of connections in hollywood and not really thinking about this being any kind of studio project it was just like we're just going to do this and get a bunch of money and and make it our, and make it so that was our first collaboration and then that script through total kind of like happenstance got to this manager sam warren and harry langsfield who who basically just fell in love with it and and sort of they were our entry into Hollywood and and they shotgun blasted that script all over town and we we met like you know we had like 80 general meetings over the course of like five weeks and that really launched our Hollywood career and and that script ended up winning the blacklist which is what basically led to us getting the the eternal job when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wow. So Ruin, which 
did get made. Ruin was a script you guys thought about as you wrote it. You were like, okay, we we have this idea for something that we can make, right? Because that was your original plan. Yeah. But what happened was the script created its own momentum and yep. got you an entree into you know the industry. And you ended up as writers. Someone else directed it. Movie got made. And at some point in that, you got attached to Eternals. So some context here. I'll just jump in. Yeah, I, sure. I, we told the story a few different times, but I'll make sure you got it right. Uh, Ruin has not been made. That's actually one of the great, strange journeys of this script. You know, I think the life of a movie is long. And we always wrote this script to go make it. You know, that's been one of the crazy things about this thing. And we also wrote it, you know, before we had agents, before we had managers, we really just were outside of the system. And we didn't have that uncle we could call, you know, to get into Hollywood. It really was just this labor of love. And we said, let's make a movie we can make for, you know, half a million dollars with the EU grant. I'm a French citizen that we qualified for. We'll go shoot it out in uh, Eastern Europe. You know, that was the dream, but it was through this very tenuous Hollywood circumstance that we found ourselves bringing the movie to town, meeting people and actually getting a chance to really see how this town worked, you know, and that script, which we, you know, sort of wrote outside of the system, which we really did. I I say this a lot when I sort of talk to film students or I'm giving a, a talk sometimes at NYU, I'm like, what we had when we wrote that movie, not everybody likes this answer, but it, it was exactly what everyone else has. You know, we had a laptop and an idea, and we just took the time to really sit down uh, and write this story that we wanted to tell. And that script is really the thing that opened so many doors for us. It's really the one that changed our lives. And what's so special about it, too, is that, you know, it's a story that's very personal to us. Our, our families, we're, we're really Americans because of World War II. You know, our grandparents fled France. During the war, they came to uh, New York, Jamaica, Queens, and they lived there, you know, all through through World War One, uh, World War Two, and so that whole journey of getting this movie there—it's really what opened the door for Eternals because that that blacklist, that infamous Hollywood institution of the best scripts that haven't been made yet, is really what gets us on the radar. Got it. Yeah. No, I I'm glad you explained because I did not realize the film had that you guys hadn't gone ahead and made some version of the film. So the film was the script on the blacklist got you attention and got you in the room for something like Eternals. Um, and, but you, like you said, you'd been working, you know, you'd, and, and, and I, I highlight this for our audience because a lot of people are in this sort of that joint between maybe you're directing commercials, maybe you're getting editing jobs like you were Ryan, maybe, you know, there's a variety of ways people are making, uh, figuring things out and working in the industry and thinking about making that jump, which is like, I want to go to the cabin in the woods and write the script that gets me to become a, a writer of a feature at another, another level. But what I'm curious about is now the part that's Eternals, which is what we're really here to talk about too. Like, so Eternals is like, you know, this is a major, major property Obviously, Marvel and Disney and all of that, and the names involved, the stars, Chloe Zhao, especially coming off Nomadland. Do you get a general? Does it start like this? Like, take me through the story. Do your agents say like, hey, we've got these guys. They wrote this amazing script on the blacklist. We'd love to put them for the open writing assignment on Eternals. And you go into a room and pitch? Well, yeah. So, Why? So, yeah, we... we because I think, yeah, your your audience is, is, is somewhat industry literate. So when we yeah, first went out to town, we did this crazy marathon of general meetings. And like I said before, we did about, you know, 80 general meetings in like five weeks, met all these people. And I remember it was like, it was actually outside of that little blitz, maybe like a couple months later, because Marvel sort of lives in their own little ecosystem that we then got called into Marvel and they had read Bruin 
uh, Nate Moore, the producer of Eternals and Black Panther. He had read Ruin and he wanted to meet with us about it. And so we had this general meeting with them. And I think we actually met in the room that we actually ended up writing Eternals in, which is a weird kind of synergy. <laughs> but anyway, we had this meeting and we just really clicked. You know, there was good chemistry between all three of us. And we talked a lot about what phase four could be. Because at, at that point, I think they had just started to film Infinity War and Endgame. Mm-hmm. So they kind of knew, they knew where we were going to go, but it, like we hadn't, they hadn't got there yet. And so we were just talking about like what, what could, what it could be. And there was just all this overlap and, and excitement. And, and we were just like, we inspired each other and we, we, we came up with a lot of like cool ideas in that room. But then after that meeting, we just didn't really hear anything from Nate because he was off filming Black Panther. And, and we just were sort of like, that was a great meeting. Who knows what will come of it. And then, you know, flash forward about six months, we ended up winning the blacklist. And then we also sold another spec script to Netflix and just had this like crazy, amazing year where like our lives basically totally transformed. 2017, this was. And then at the top of 2018, just like, you know, about eight months after the general meeting, Nate called us back in and said, hey, we got this crazy property. I'd really like to talk to you about it. And so he pitched us Eternals and we had uh, we had never heard of it and didn't know anything about it like many, many other people. But right from the beginning, hearing about all the different ideas it explores and, and the different narrative challenges of the material, we just knew like this was the script that we have to write. It's such a right fit that it became our sort of like holy grail that we just were like, we have to win this project. I want to know more about that part. What about it in that room? And I'm also curious, as a side note, if you can also touch on what was it you talked about with phase four with him? And like, what do you, what do you bring to a general that you think makes a general go well? It's very hard to know if a general has gone well. Sometimes they'll ask you things like, you know, what do you have? And you'll list like three or four ideas or something and you just get mm-hmm. to know each other. But I am curious about that. But I'm also, like I said, really curious about this. What was it about Eternals, which you had not heard of, you didn't know the property that you were like, this is the thing. There's something we love about this that's going to make it possible for us to do a good job yeah. with this. Well, yeah. I'll say one kind of, yeah, sorry, Kaz, if you want to cover the Eternals part, I'll just cover a real generalized thing about generals and like advice <laughs> to the <laughs> listeners. Is that, uh, in general. I really think that, you know, the, the, yeah, the, the best thing that you can do in a general meeting is just give them a chance to see your story mind at work. And so it's like, mm. it's not even necessarily about, sometimes, yes, the concept is something that's going to really get them excited, but it's just like, if, even if you're just jamming on some random thing, even if even if you're talking about a movie that already exists, you know, just that they can see like how you think about story and how you're kind of compartmentalizing things and taking it apart and putting it back together and, and involving them in that conversation. Those are, those are tend to be like the best generals that, that tend to lead to, to more, more business. I think yeah. that's great advice. I've never heard that one that put that way before, but I love that. In that language, you know, a meeting these like meeting anybody, like having a conversation with anyone, especially in the eras of Zoom, which is a little bit of a shame because you lose some of the magic, you know, of sitting in a room with someone and, and, and really talking about this stuff. But it's always just about these these matches, this chemistry. You know, that's one of the biggest things that we've learned in this town is that making movies with people you like really like is this great gift. It's also where magical things happen. You know, we've always been chasing this feeling all our lives of making movies with your friends, you know, in your backyard, that really like liberating feeling of just sort of, and then this happens and, and then, then this happens, you know, and I think that's for us something that's really fascinating is that movies are this massively collaborative medium at any size and any scale. And so as far as Eternals goes, you know, sitting down in that room, 
in this mythical place where, you know, 25 other Marvel movies had been made and dreamed up and, you know, and sort of, you know, we come from the, the outsider view of, of sort of making these big movies and, and had, had sort of had this door open for us into this universe. Eternals was that perfect story. You know, it really was an epic. It was a love story. We knew right away, just talking about these characters, if you have a uh, hundred immortal characters that have lived for thousands of years, they have a lot to say about humanity, about human evolution, about really just the validity of the great human experiment. And on top of that, it was really a story about gods and myths, you know, and for me personally, uh, I studied classics in school. I, I worked on an archaeological dig in Egypt for four months in my senior year, you know, while I was at film school. And it's really, it all comes down to this place that we've been telling the same stories about myths, gods, and people's, you know, strange and dangerous powers for 2000 years of human history. And, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe is sort of taking that baton and carrying it forward into the future. And the reason I say that is because if gods and, you know, are fallible, it makes it a little bit easier to be human, you know? And that's, I think, something that for us is really fascinating to explore. We knew right away that with Eternals, this was a chance to do something really, really big, really different, really ambitious. And I think that's one of the great gifts of movies so that it can take things that are hard to understand and make them easy to feel. And so we knew right away we wanted this to be a movie that was about a truly epic love story. And and the, the funny thing about this process is there was nothing along the way where we would say, okay, you know, let's look at the other immortal space epic love story, see how they did it. You know, there was no blueprint for how to make a movie like this. And so it was this incredible process of really discovering that and then trying to bring everything we could to that story. Yeah. So that explains a lot, especially like where you could draw from, you know, in your own experience. When you, when you write a movie like this, as we all know, there are a lot of powerful forces at, at work, you know, beyond just the, when you're in the cabin, right? It's got to be completely yeah. different than the success you had writing your other scripts and you did have a lot of success. So teach us a little bit about all of us writing a script where you're working with Disney, Marvel, Chloe, Patrick, who I'm going to try to interview as well. And even like the original material, the Jack Kirby and, you know, like comic book writers, like there's all of this really powerful stuff in the stew. Like how do you break a story with all that? Who's involved and the various producers and et cetera. Well, I just, I mean, one thing I'll say is I just think that Marvel does a really good job at sort of like protecting you from all the, the rigmarole of the, the big machine and just trying to keep you really, really focused on the story. You know, like we, they set us up, you know, in the Black Widow room, like in the Marvel offices, everyone, there's all these different rooms and they're all named after different MCU characters. And so we got the Black Widow room, which is like this little room with no windows. And essentially, once they gave us that room, then we were the only ones who could access it for the entirety of the writing process. So like even cleaning crews didn't go in there. So if you spilled your grape nuts, you know, at two in the morning, it was going to be there for the next six months unless you cleaned it up, you know? So they did a really good job basically just trying to create a space for you where it did feel like you were in a cabin in the woods where you just, they were just like, don't wow. think about the fact that there's like, you know, all this millions of dollars behind this. <laughs> the like world this is not at stake. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Just only think about the story. And I, and I think like we were at a good point in our careers too, where it, like we didn't really get, get psyched out by all that. We just really kind of like, we, you know, this is our first produced credit. So we had never gone through the whole process of, of, of writing a movie and then, and then seeing it out, uh, seeing it released in the world and seeing audiences respond to it. So we were really just in that mindset really of, of like, okay, we're back in the cabin. 
but we're just in the Black Widow room at the Marvel Studios, but the process is still pretty much the same. And once you get through that process, and, you know, I assume at some point Chloe reads it, or right. there is there is eventually, like, all those people yeah. have to get involved. Yeah. So when yeah, that happens, yeah. like, well, you, you like, did get to have, like, your, you know, the sanctity yeah. of that right. creation period. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, process-wise, I think we, we wrote a couple drafts because, you know, Marvel, when they develop things, they're not 100% sure, like, if everything's going to get made, you know, and some things don't. So after our first draft is when they started to be like, okay, I think that there's definitely a movie here. And that's when they began the director search. And then we did, you know, another pass. And then that's after that is when Chloe came on. And there was just a lot of synergy between us uh, right from the jump. I think Kaz was just talking about that earlier. And so, so inviting her into the room and, and kind of opening up the process was kind of seamless because it would just go where basically like Chloe would read the draft and she would give her notes and we would have these like note sessions that would generally be like marathons because, you know, it'd be hard to get us all in one place for at any given time. So we do like, you know, an eight or nine hour story session and then, and then just kind of make a lot of choices about where we're going to go. And then we would enter back into that little cabin in the woods mentality. And then, and then as far as like the, the, the rest of the Marvel machine, you know, cause they had this basically brain trust called the parliament, who is essentially a bunch of filmmakers, storytellers, a bunch of people within Marvel who, who contributes, you know, narrative to, to the, to every script, every story, every film. Wow. Are they kind of the keepers in a way of the, <laughs> it sounds like it's its own, you know, ju- like a justice league I'm crossing IP. So I apologize, yeah. but like, it sounds like it's its own uh, superhero group, Avengers, whatever, but like, yeah, it's like but the keeper of the, the timeline, yeah. the through line, the purity of like, Hey, this is how our universe works story-wise or like can you explain to us a little more about this this parliament this is a really cool concept well you know and so if you look in the credits of every marvel movie they are credited as the parliament so it's like so i mean yeah i guess if you didn't know what that was you just would glaze past it but it basically is essentially like yeah it's a brain trust of people and sometimes it's people from with art marvel sometimes it's maybe people a little bit outside of marvel but essentially people that they that they trust and that are that are proven storytellers who all read the drafts and then they basically gather notes from everyone. And um, so there's like, you know, I don't know how many people were, because the parliament shifts and changes changes for each project. So I don't know how many people were in our parliament, but it, that the way that the system works is that Nate would be the filter for everything. So we don't have yeah. to ever go sit there and have like 17 people just yelling a bunch of stuff at us. <laughs> they all, they do that to Nate. And then he basically consolidates that into something that, that is manageable for us to address. And, uh, and, and he really like, he can, he, yeah, he, he basically generates a massive notes document that sometimes could be like, you know, 20 pages of notes that he's translating from all the different uh, feedback that he's gotten from the parliament. And then he comes and basically talks us, talks us through those things. And we kind of debate certain ideas and, and, you know, come up with, with solutions on the spot and et cetera, et cetera. And then that's what we use as a, as a platform to go off and write the next draft. I realize because it's Disney, this popped in my head too, but it's, it reminds me of the model of the, I think they were called the 12 old men that Walt Disney relied upon for his animated features for so long. They were the key kind of beyond just, you know, they broke the story, but also every little piece, they were like the brain trust. Yeah. And similar to Pixar, how they work too. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar. So, and then, you know, you kind of like, you see people starting to get attached to stars and you're starting to see this thing come to life. And that must've been its own, like amazing experience, right? The scale of it, 
Like, did you get to be around during the shooting? Were you out there? Were you busy on other stuff? What was your role once once things once cameras come to the party? Yeah, I mean, movies like these are just enormous machines, and that's one of the magical things about it. You know, it starts with a few people in a windowless room dreaming up stories about space gods, and it ends up with ten thousand people telling a story on this scale. And so, for us, it really is just like you you put all these ideas down on a piece of paper, and then you know, one set of authors hands it off to the next. And Chloe went off to London, and she put her writer director stamp on the movie, brought a lot of this stuff to life. You know, Patrick is one of the funniest guys we know, and he brought that aspect to it as well. And for us, it was really just about making sure that the movie works, you know, and having all these pieces and all these puzzles and all this mythology that you're bringing to the table. And so, you know, when you go off and make a movie, you know, you make the movie when you write, write it, you make the movie when you direct it, you make the movie again when you edit it. You know, we mm-hmm. have a lot of love for Craig Wood and Dylan Tishner, who really spent, you know, a year and change, more because of the pandemic, honestly, really right. uh, sculpting and crafting this film. And I think that right. everyone is, you know, sort of putting that stamp on the story and trying to make it, you know, speak to a lot of people and have a, make sure that a lot of audiences see themselves in this film. And um, that was something that we really set out to do from the beginning is to try to do something new. Um, and that was, that was one of the great pleasures of something like Eternals. You know, it was this opportunity, the MCU was in this place and in this time where there was a chance to try to do something very ambitious. Yeah, it's just such a unique circumstance to have everything about it. I mean, coming off the massive success of phase of the phase three, I guess, like leading in, into phase four, having filmmakers like yourselves who are sort of new to having material produced and then having a, a filmmaker like Chloe at the helm and to have these, this just, it, it's just a, such a unique stew, you know, that it's a, a, a cool moment. Can you tell me like, what did you guys as like, think about like when you saw it, when you started seeing it and it was done, you were like, this is crazy. Did you have moments where it's like, I can't believe this was from us in the windowless room. Did you have things where you thought, you know what? I wish we should, we could have done this or maybe this way. Or like, did you learn anything about screenwriting? Like that <laughs> changes the way you see the process now. Right away. I'll, I'll just say, you know, I've had the great pleasure of seeing the movie. I don't know, maybe, maybe 10 times, but certainly about four or five times with a full audience, you know, in a crowded theater. And that's such a magical experience. And sort of seeing the things that things that first joke when it lands, you know, when you get the jump scare, when that when that first you know uh, cheer happens in an audience, and um, yeah, you absolutely you know you set out to tell a story that was different. I, I constantly tell myself, I'm like, I cannot believe a movie this crazy got made. You know, and I would hope <laughs> it's gonna, you know, I think it's gonna find its audience. You know, I think it's gonna really, it's gonna live a life because it is so, so different. You know, and that's it's really a pretty big audience already. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm not gonna complain about being the number one movie in the world, but I, I really do think that this is a, you know, it's a special movie. It really is something special, and that's what Chloe and the whole team are brought to it, and then really the cast. We haven't even gotten into that, but they're incredible. And what I'll say for sure is, every time you watch something you've made, you know, as a, as a filmmaker, as an artist, as a even if you're a painter, you know, I think you look back on that process and you go, man, you only see the things you could have done better. And I think that's every process. Every time you make a movie, I think it makes you a better storyteller. Every time you tell a story, you know, that's, that's what I would say just as a holistic advice to, to, to whoever is listening to this is that you have to be, you have to fail to succeed. You know, you have to learn those lessons. And so telling stories each time you, you do something, each time you complete something, finish something, you really learn something about yourself. You learn something about the story. And you see all the things that, yeah, you, you'd love to fix that and perfect this. And then and what you sort of realize is that's the magical thing about a movie is that it is now. It's just out in the world and we're giving it out to everybody else. 
That's awesome. We got to end here, but I want to thank you guys for taking the time. I want to thank you for having been no film school readers in the past too, and for making the movie and look forward to having you back for the next stuff. Absolutely. Sounds, I look forward to it. We look forward to it as well. <laughs> Later guys. Thank you. Have a good right. week. Take care. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Ryan and Kaz for coming on the show. Please make sure to check out all of our other interviews. They tend to drop on Thursdays, sometimes Fridays under special circumstances. We have a lot of great interviews. Next month, we have one coming up with Robert Yeoman, who's been the longtime cinematographer for the great Wes Anderson. The two of them and their collaboration has arguably created its own cinematic language that we're all so familiar with now. So that's a really fun one. And I look forward to you listening to it. Plus, be sure to check out all kinds of great gear news on nofilmschool.com. We have educational content, tech and gear news, entertainment news, and deals. Be sure to check out our Deals of the Week posts. Those usually drop around Monday or Tuesday. And once again, thank you so much for listening.